All right, we are rolling, counting us down. Rolling is for closers only. Three, two. Give me steak knives. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. Hey, if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be music, television, movies, spoken word, books, graphic novels. We take these things that have built us up as people, and we share them with each other and you, the audience, and we hope that it helps build you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Ah, I enjoy both retrospection and introspection. As you should. Everyone should do a healthy amount of both of those things. But don't live in the past and don't live in your mind. Live in the moment. Don't. That's good advice. Yeah. Can you, you imagine what a world it would be if everybody were willing to take a little bit of time to self-reflect? It would be a wonderful world. Unless, what? Unless, <laughs> unless all the greatest monsters throughout history self-reflected frequently and went, now nah, you know what? I I'm great. This is the best. Let's do another genocide. In which case, like clearly, maybe that isn't the answer. Yeah. Um, self-critique. No, mm, but you have to have an inclination towards self-critique, I, like I honest. Think, self-critique. I think this will take us down a, a, a dang darn long rabbit hole. Right. Once you like front load it with more genocide, like where else are you gonna go from there? <laughs> As Dev is not a family-friendly program. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Uh, speaking of critique, uh, this week we are covering Glenn Gary Glenn. <laughs> so many G's. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, uh, the 1992 movie, formerly play, um, uh, directed by James Foley, written by David Mamet. 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 Really? What? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did, which which one mammoth. is right? It's mammoth. It's mammoth. It's with. I'm I'm just gonna. We're gonna. This is the portion of the program where I shame Tari. <laughs> Isn't that every program? No. <laughs> okay. It's an because. Well, no, you've definitely, but you've definitely seen the name in writing. Yes. See, I've and seen that's it in that's writing. one of those things where it's like, no, I can't fault you. It's just like if you you've seen it, you've seen it in writing. You get a. You get a pass. Okay. We should just we just cut out this block where I'm just a dick to you. No, it stays. <laughs> it's it stays just so everybody forever. can know who you really are. <laughs> um, and it's a it's a star studded movie. Uh, we got Al Pacino, Alec Baldwin, Ed Harris, Kevin Spacey, Alan Arkin, Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon? Yes. Yes. That's what it is. Um, what did you think it might be? So here's my brain has been really weird with names recently, and so I like even on this <laughs> piece of paper. That. Um, I went to write down Kevin Spacey and I wrote John Spacey and I was like, yes. And then I was like, no, it's wrong. So, in, so for a second, my brain was like, maybe his name's not Jack. Maybe his name is something else. And then I was like, no, Jack is his name. Anyway, you were right. I was, uh, but isn't it great that at the end of that journey, you found Shangri-La as it were. It's true. Ah, oh, man. I feel so much. More complete now that I've been on that journey. Feels so good to be right. Oh yeah! And see, um, this you got there doing a little bit of honest self critique <laughs> and self reflection <laughs> in the face of great adversity. I just shamed you for not knowing how to pronounce David Mamet, and in the face of that adversity, yeah, you still pushed through. You looked inward, and you came. You came out of it with a greater knowledge and, and confidence. Yeah. See, everyone, the lesson you should take away from this is that shaming people helps them grow. <laughs> As individuals, <laughs> it really helps them look inward and advance themselves. All you got to do is make them feel like garbage, and then they'll be like, why am I garbage? And then they'll improve themselves from there. That's the That's only the way I've ever learned anything. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so this was one of your recommendations, Lex. Yes. Um, I had never seen it. I had only seen parodies of the opening speech yeah pretty much everybody knows the always be closing speech, right. which is a scene that a character written if i'm not mistaken specifically for alec baldwin that whole piece did not appear in the play that was created for the movie yes um because they needed to kind of one uh pad out the the play because it was it was a two-act play fairly short and they also wanted to increase the stakes 
uh, for the movie. And so essentially it was created specifically for the screenplay. And then now uh, a lot of the plays have been retrofitted to include this piece. Right. It's a lot like going to see a production of Grease, realizing that they didn't always have You're the One That I Want on the mm, end. Yes. And can you imagine like that's the, the number of riots? I mean, I don't have the the documentation in front of me. I don't have the receipts for this, but I, I'm pretty confident that at least nine theaters were burned down during productions of Grease yeah. when they discovered that it, I think it's like All Shook Up is the name of the song at the end Yeah, uh, originally. Mm-hmm. When there was no You're the One That I Want, they're like, this is not what we wanted. We came here for better and more. Yeah. And they just start, like they all brought Molotov. It was Molotov cocktail night. Yes. I guess, and nobody knew why. And it was because like somebody had the foresight to go, this is, we're going to start some shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it'd be like that. Going to see Glengarry Glen Ross now, they'd be like, yeah, okay, I get that the version without this won a Pulitzer, but this is what we want. Right. It's Molotov cocktail night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and guys, never forget the great grease fire of 1995. <laughs> uh, horrible. <laughs> Chris, just joking about all kinds of things that are yep. not not really not really just hilarious though. Haha. <laughs> so uh-huh. so yeah. You'd never you'd never seen it. You'd seen parodies. Uh, yes. Most frequently of that sequence. Right. And I, uh, I, so at one point when I knew that the parodies were specifically from a thing, then I went to sought out that thing and I had seen just the Alec Baldwin piece. Um, and it, it was cool. It was good. Great monologue. Um, but like now seeing it in context, it like adds so much more like flavor and, and, and purpose to it. It was really interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how you could view it in a vacuum and that like, these are people's, it, it sets up that like all these people's livelihoods are at stake and like you get to meet uh, some of the characters beforehand and see how disgruntled they are. And to be confronted with this dude being like, you're all fucking losers um, is really uh, this disheartening. Costs yeah. more than your car. Yeah. That's rough. Um, and I had, I had assumed that like just seeing that piece that like from that moment on, everyone was like, you know what? Hell yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going to do the thing. But like, no, everyone's like, don't talk to me like that. <laughs> everyone's like, how dare you? Why would you bring this guy in? Right. Uh, egos and bullshit. Yeah. I mean, every single, it's all, by the way, it's all men. If you don't know. The t- okay. Actually, let's, let's backtrack a little bit further. Even yeah. Atari having just come to Glenn, Glenn Ross fresh. What would you, how, if somebody asked you like, oh, I, I don't really know it either. Like I've heard of it. I don't really, what's it about? Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary Glenn is Glenn about Glenn a lot Glenn. of men my, guzzling rainwater, guzzling it with their mouths. My tongue can't handle the amount of G's in this title. Um, Glenn, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross yes. um, is a story about a New York real estate sales office where um, essentially you got four dudes who are super unhappy with their uh, with their jobs and there's one guy who is like super great at it and they're this it's really testosterone driven everyone is trying to uh, sell as much real estate as possible yes, and they get a and it's all men there are no oh, female yeah. characters in this story even the characters that you meet from outside the office are men we hear wives referenced in passing but yes hyper testosterone driven and more often than not the wives the women are are spoken of as obstacles right um yeah it's it's rough it's it's pretty homophobic um they're they're very many uses of the term cocksucker and be a man and and um, they drop a, a, a homophobic F-bomb very early in it. Um, yes. So I will say for the record, tell me if you disagree. I do think, though, the characters of the piece are incredibly, let's say, uh, uh, toxic, incredibly toxically masculine, very homophobic, very misogynistic. I don't think the piece is necessarily. I think the piece is very aware of who these guys are. Right. Um, yes, because I was going to say that, like, the only the only character uh, who seems a bit more, like, who, who doesn't necessarily fall into that camp is Roma, who is Al Pacino's character, who, like, I want to spend a whole segment on Roma because I find him very interesting. But there's this moment where he's like, you know, he's like, you know, 
you're if you're queer, like who cares? Like it doesn't matter. Okay. Just do it, cause like, you know, why not? Just live your life. Live, live, live however you want. Um, which I find very fascinating. In the same breath, though, he does then turn to like, yeah, and if you like to have sex with little girls, whatever. That's true. That's a really. I mean, it's a it's a pivot. It's a, but <laughs> um, I but I think they all have it a little bit. Right. But but. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I want you to do a whole segment on Roma because I want to know. I want to know all your thoughts on all of these characters. But so, yeah. um, so it's but a, like overall. Yes. Um, like we we learn about everyone's perspective on essentially being part of this sales machine. You know, we have the old timer who uh, has been doing it a certain way and now is kind of falling fallen into a, a rut. Right. We have the guy uh, who, Levine, the Jack Lemon character. Yeah. Uh, we have Moss played by Ed Harris, who believes himself to be really good, but like he's not given the tools that he needs to succeed. We have um, George played by Alan Arkin, who is essentially he feels, if I understand correctly, and, and from the research I did, um, Alan Arkin decided to approach the character as someone who's super new to the uh, to the game and is trying kind. Of, trying to kind of find his his footing he plays him like a dude in shock like yeah. a dude who's just so like yeah and that completely tracks like i just stepped into this world of miserable ego-driven toxic bastards and it's not even a job i like yeah um and so we have that guy we have um roma who is like the uh played by Pacino, who essentially is like the hot shot sales guy um he seems like he's like he's been doing it for a little while, but like he he knows what he's doing. Everyone is trying to match up to his standards. Um, and then we have um, the their manager, played by Kevin Spacey, John Williamson, who is uh, he's basically just a tool. He's a giant tool for the 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 higher ups. Uh, it's totally no possible he's someone's cousin. Like a, I think a couple of different characters reference this idea. Like I don't care whose cousin you are, and like it, they, it could just totally be bullshit to put right. him down. But yeah, for all we know, he does have this job because he's someone's cousin, right? Um, and and so like no one respects him. Everyone uh, kind of shits on him from the very beginning, uh, and rightfully so. Like he's a to begin with, he's a total dick. Yeah. But then you get to the end, right? And like when he does, like yeah, we're gonna. I feel like you kind of given the broad outlines of the characters, right? Yes. Later in the movie, he sort of proves them all right, where he completely blows that deal for Roma by yeah. not keeping his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Although then he gets to have his fucking moment in the sun where then Shelley blows everything for himself by not keeping his mouth shut. Right. But so the inciting incident, right, like that you throw all these guys in a in a pressure cooker, essentially, and their their livelihoods are based on trying to sell to trying to sell these leads to prospective investors. So it's a, it's, you know, it's a cold pitch sales job essentially. Yeah. And they get the leads and they have to follow up on the leads and hopefully make sales and they make a commission. You, you all know how sales work. Um, <laughs> but so in comes the Alec Baldwin character. And I guess he got, he got word from Mitch and Murray, the heads of the company uh, to, to essentially put an ultimatum to this room, which is here's the board. Here's how we're tracking your sales. We rank them. Tara, what happens? You just see, it looked like you got so involved in what I was saying. And yeah. I just want to be like, no, 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 help, help. Here's the baton. No. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, my brain started thinking about this character. Um, I think his name is Blake. Blake, the, um, yeah, the Baldwin character. And he, there, it, it feels like he does this speech all the time. Oh, yeah. He's going, um, he's going town to town. To every oh, yeah. office, yeah. Because, um, like, he even brings in a pair of, like, prop brass balls. And he's just, and, like, he had written what he needs to on the board. It's, a, like, before they even came. And, like, I would love that job to just go in, yell at people, be like, all right, give me my give me my money, and I'll see you later. He's basically a motivational speaker. He's right. just an ass about it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's so demeaning. But he knows his audience, right? Like, right. like you, you got to imagine that in most rooms that aren't as insular like in a bigger sales firm i feel like maybe not every seller gets an opportunity to build up a little ego for themselves in that way yeah so this you got to assume this probably does work like what ultimately works is like yes we realize okay the top two earners will get a car and a set of steak knives and everybody else gets fired so that lights a fire under them yeah but you got to assume that that speech without that ultimatum probably works like that's why he bought the balls after like the seventh or eighth of these he's like you know what i might as well just buy the balls now for a fact. 
I mean, yeah, why not? At that point, like, it's all old hat. I mean, you get to improv a little bit as people kind of give you lip. But for the most part, it's just like, nah, I got this on. I got this down. And it's it's it like shows that he was probably a salesman at some point. What? I love the idea that what Blake really wanted was to be a prop comic. <laughs> and he realized he realized he was never going to the business is just too competitive, you know? Um it, he probably wasn't going to be able to feed his family and whatnot. So eventually he's like, "All right, well, fuck, let me I guess I'll get into this fucking business to earn a couple of bucks." He's embittered, he's super jaded, he's cynical now. Yeah. And he just sort of funnels it into rage. And eventually the Mitch and Murray get a hold of him and they're like, "Hey, you know what? We can use that. It's real good. We can use it. You got a, a flair for uh, for performance. Yeah. You know, how about this? How about you go office to office and you give them this speech, basically, especially when we need to kind of like, you know, motivate sales and stuff. Sometimes you get a threat in their jobs. It's like, all right, f- fine. And then he finds himself in a position where he just gets to fuck with people the way he feels the world fucked with him. Yeah. And then finally, finally, he brings it all full circle the day he goes, you know what? Maybe I could really make a go of this. I'm going to buy the balls. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy the big brass balls. I'm not a prop comic, but I am a prop man. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that moment where you're just like, yeah, I'm a prop man. Ooh, so, so shining. So cool. Um, I was, I was talking to my roommate earlier about how like, so Alec Baldwin got an Oscar nom for this speech. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, and, or not, I imagine he did. Um, but the part that I imagine is how like frustrated everyone else must have been because it's he has it's like a about a seven minute uh, bit. He does his monologue and he leaves. And you never see him again in the whole movie. And he gets nominated for it. And all these everyone is acting their asses off in this movie. Mm-hmm. They are fucking giving it their all. And you feel it like you feel the stakes. You feel the desperation. You feel the anger. Um, and for this guy to come in and do like seven minutes and then get nominated. And I, I imagine that had to be so frustrating as an actor. Like, though, I imagine they all love Alec Baldwin and they're all just like, who knows? I mean, yeah, I have to imagine like there's a lot of respect there. But sure, uh, I could see it in so far as. You know, uh, you can only, I mean, a lot of studios, big studios, if they have the money, try and push every movie for every category. Yeah. This clearly got pushed for a couple, but like maybe it's a matter of you only have so much money for a movie of this size to, because everybody was working for less, you know, like everybody took a pay cut for this movie. Yeah. Um, maybe you only have so much money to push everybody in every category for uh, performance. Yeah. Um, so it could be a matter of like, well, this is like a bit, you know, only seven minutes of the movie, but it's like a big, sexy seven minute. Like we're helping sell the movie on the seven minutes. So we can kind of sell this yeah. um, in terms of like a commercial and political campaign. We can sell this performance. And there's a very clear, here's the scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like here's and every, literally everybody has an incredible scene in this movie, more than one. I, I don't think there's a single moment in this movie that isn't, fucking brilliant yeah um but that also too lends itself to well here's the scene here's an excerpt from the just get the abc just like cut that out throw it we can sell this mm. so that that would be my guess okay but i could be way off the money but like it, it tracks enough for me yeah oh the other thing that i find interesting for talking about academy awards uh pacino got a best supporting nomination yeah for this movie this was 1992 it came out so he got a best supporting nomination lost to gene hackman for unforgiven mm-hmm but in that same year, he won lead for Scent of a Woman. So he's fine. Yeah. He's well, good. yeah. He's Al Pacino's good. fine. He's good. Al, yeah. He's, he's. Did you it. know, did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that Al Pacino's 1992 best supporting loss for Glengarry Glenn Ross did not, in fact, uh, send him into exile, chosen exile? <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't his like, uh, I, I didn't beat Emperor Palpatine. I have to go hide on Dagobah moment. <laughs> uh, um, since we're talking about Al Pacino, I feel like we should talk about Roma. Let's please. Um, I I really like this character. Um, so Roma, you meet him. You meet him at the beginning very shortly. Um, and then he's absent from the big speech. Uh, they're like, who's, who's missing? It's Roma. Um, and I had read that like... Um, uh, what's it called? I had read a bunch of things. Um, I had read that essentially 
Alec Baldwin was going to be Roma if Al Pacino couldn't do it. Um, and then he ended up being able to. Um, and they had, one of them had signed up to work with the other. I think Alec Baldwin had signed up to work with Al Pacino, but Al Pacino couldn't be in that scene um, because Al Pacino, Roma, the character, wouldn't have stood up for that shit. Like yeah. he wouldn't have sat in at any moment for to be like berated and he didn't need the talk um so it's funny that that aside um and you so you meet him and then like the next time you see him after that he's talking to this guy um i forget the i forget the characters it's one of his marks um and he's just kind of mind fucking this dude into signing up for his into making this sale oh you mean uh link the yes link jonathan price character Yes, 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 yes. Um, like he's just talking a bunch of bullshit. He's just like, yeah, you know, like it's, mor- morality. It's all bullshit. Oh yeah. Um, he he like he, and and the whole time like uh, Link is is like sweating and he he's he's like can't even follow the line of the train of thoughts and and essentially like the thing he's selling him is this idea that like right and wrong doesn't exist. Like you got to just do what's good for you. You got to like live in the moment. Like, and, and you know what? The best thing to do in this moment is to buy this property and invest your money. And you know, it'll be, it'll be good for you now. It'll be good for you in the future. Like all you got to do is buy this thing in Florida, bro. No problem. And like eventually wears him down to the point where like he makes the sale. Um, and like you get this, this moment with this character and you're like, Oh, he's like, one of those sleazy salespeople, and then you get him with um, with with Shelley, um, uh, Jack Lemmon's character, and he's so fucking sweet. Yeah, um, and it's it's like so especially weird. right at the end, yeah, too. like right at the end of the movie where he's saying all this nice shit about mm-hmm. about Shelley, and then of course you know you as the audience member realize like fuck if Shelley just kept his mouth shut for all for all like he, uh, Roma's got a line at the very end of the movie where he's talking about like you know what. I've been thinking about it. Don't know. Don't know why I didn't say it till just now. There's a guy I could work with. Like yeah. You could almost see because he fucking hates Williamson so much. You could almost see Roma at some point going like, you know what, Shelly? Why don't you and me? Why don't we go into business together over here? Yeah. And Shelly could have just kept his fucking mouth shut, <laughs> which was Roma's entire fucking point at the end too. Yeah. It's like you always keep your mouth shut until you know what the shot is because like, there's so much bullshit that these guys spew. That's he's got the line too. It's like you tell the truth. It's the easiest thing to remember. Right. Now he doesn't always do that. He's just really fucking good at spinning bullshit. Yeah. But um, yeah, never, never open your mouth until you know what the shot is. Mm-hmm. And like, not, not do, twice. We see it happen back to back towards the end. It's like uh, fucking Williamson fucks shit up for Roma. Shelley fucks shit up for himself. Right. Um. Yeah. But like, you get and you you bring up that moment between like Shelley and and Roma, where like right before that they are doing a bit. They're doing a bit together because like uh, Link is having second thoughts. His wife is, is trying to stop him from uh, cashing the check. And they they like just jump into this like super salesy bit where it's like, Oh no, I, I can't talk to you until Monday. Like I'm doing this thing. And, and uh, Shelly's like going with it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get out of the door. And like you, you feel like they've known each other for so long. And like, this isn't the first time they've done this bit. Well, like, they start, they start spinning a, a yarn about how like, uh, Roma's like, Oh, he's the, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you, I'm not supposed to talk about this, but he's like the head of uh, European sales for what is it? American express. Yeah. Like that. And then, yeah. Like, uh, uh, Shelly just jumps in, just immediately picks it up. And it's like for half a second, it's like, oh, is, is Shelly kind of like stumbling over like he can't quite pull pull the pull the yarn out effectively? And then, no, like this is just part of the shtick. Like when they're talking about the magazine, like yeah. he falls right into it and he kind of like, blah, 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 blah. it's like hems and haws, but mm-hmm. it's all part of the performance. It's like, oh, I can't talk about that. It's not, it's, oh, it's going to be in the February issue, but oh, okay, okay, you could talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's excellent. These two, yeah, they have a rapport like they've been a double act for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love it because it, it like adds... It, it not just adds to both of those characters um, in terms of like, it adds layers to them as individuals, but it also adds layers to Roma that like he is, he's as good as he is at selling because he like, he listens to other people who are senior to him and he, he like learns as he goes and he's so flexible and, and is, is willing to do anything to get that sell. And you know, you understand why he is a closer. Mm-hmm. Um but it also shows like 
because up until this point, Shelly has been painted to be kind of a loser. And you, you see that moment that like, no, like at a certain point, he was somebody. He had the sales game down. Mm-hmm. It's just that like, he also like Moss hasn't been given the tools to do his job. And you, you find that out when Shelly, when it's, when Shelly is bragging about his sale to the, um, the, I forget their names. Uh, the Nyborgs. Like, yeah. The Nyborgs. And like, it was a it was a bum sale from the beginning. Like it was a bad lead from the moment that he received it. And you're like, well, dude, like you can't expect these people to sell if you're giving them shitty leads. And and they keep saying this throughout the whole play right. slash movie that like all their leads are bad. Um, and you, but they know that. And you know so, what's like, interesting too? What's interesting about this? Like they all know that, and they're complaining about it constantly. Yeah. Roma, the most successful of them, is the only one who's going, no, it's a waste of time. Fuck you. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, he's the only one. He's the only one who's just like, no, fuck off with this. Right. And he's the most successful of the bunch. Um, now, granted, being the most successful gives him a little bit more wiggle room to be like, no, no, fuck off with this. But I do think these the, that that attitude has to have facilitated his rise over some of these other guys. Well, yeah. I mean, there's it's it kind of like digs into that uh, that like kind of toxic masculinity thing and that like a man goes for what he wants you know and if if you're not willing to do so then you're garbage you're nothing um and so like and it it tracks with his character because he keeps being like you know you gotta we're not men we're you gotta be a man about this and, and like like so you get you get his perspective and why he's so abrasive about it um because he's he's so uh you i don't think it's specifically because he's trying to prove his masculinity, but I think it is in, in tangled with who he has, who he is as a person and as a salesman. Um, I mean, cause like sales is in and of itself a very competitive uh, industry. And there you is definitely need to be, and I don't, I don't mean this uh, in a disparaging way. I, I just, you have to be a very certain kind of person, I think to make it in sales. Yes. Um, because, well, and I, I, I hesitate to use the term predatory. I was thinking reptilian for sure, but I wasn't going to say it. Okay. I mean, I no think no disrespect that, to our, our massive uh, demographic of salespeople. Listeners. Right. I mean, I like, I, that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to use that term, but like, I think that there is a, it, and depending on what you're selling, I think that like some things, you know, are, have some things require you to be a little bit more heartless about, like you have to be able to separate who you are from what you're selling. Like one of the things that you learn when you learn to do like copy reading and things of that sort is that like, even if it's not something that you necessarily have a, a, a connection with, um, you have to be able to find some connection in order to sell it. Right. And, and part of that is, yeah, you're putting on a show. Right. Uh, I mean, so yeah, there's a lot of theatrics and, 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 uh, I was actually just listening to a, uh, and I think it was this American life or it was, um, something else. I want to say it may have been like more perfect, something, something from NPR. Um, uh, and they were talking about the, these scams, which really like, uh, felt like kismet and that it was property scams that getting people to invest in property that doesn't exist um and tricking old people through via via phone calls though like this real estate company is legitimately selling properties as far as we know like it could be a scam who knows i don't know um but like that's what it feels like they're doing is they're running this like investment scam in order to get their their dividends you know what i'm saying yeah yeah um but you you come to care about these characters even if whatever they're doing is a scam like they're all doing it for their own specific purposes like um roma's doing it because of he wants that goddamn car he wants that fucking corvette um but like you get shelly on the other hand who's doing it because it seems like his daughter is in the hospital we get we get one scene where he's uh at a payphone yeah and he's talking to i guess yeah whatever facility she's in and we don't we get no specific information at all just enough to kind of get what you just said like i guess his daughter's in the hospital right and then at the end when he realizes that it's kind of over for him and he's trying to plead with williamson he's just like but my daughter and, and then williamson's just like fuck you yeah god damn williamson um and i i think i'd read that those 
those calls to the hospital were added uh, just for the movie as well. I believe so. Yeah. Um, I don't. We're never out of the office in the play. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, it's possible we see the restaurant, but I, I think it's just one set. I think so. I mean, it it would make sense if it's just one set, just because like. I mean, you can't have them walking back and forth into like non I don't know. That'd be difficult, especially for like early 90s. Like now we have the like rotating sets, but like. Well, this first, this was first performed, I believe, in 83. Yeah. It oh, won the Pulitzer yeah, yeah. in 84. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was in London, London right? Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in London. Um, which again, didn't have those sweet, sweet rotating sets, baby. Yeah, I wanted to, I actually, so I'll, I'll confess to have never, uh, I've never seen it staged. Uh, I've been a big fan of the play for a long time. Um, I, yeah, but I don't think I've ever, no, I haven't seen it staged. I can Uh, picture it, but I, and I'm sure it says in the script, you know, it's like one, one set, it's the office. And then if it doesn't say it, you could probably figure it out by reading it. Yeah. I don't remember. It's one of those things that like, if I was a professional of any caliber, I would have, I would have just like flipped through the play again. Nah, it's fine. Before we did this. Nah, don't worry about it. Hey guys. If you at home want to tell us where the play takes place, why don't you hit us up at Missing Outcast? That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. But we're not talking about the play. We're talking about the movie, Lex Michaels. So don't even worry about it. Hey, bro, don't even worry about it. No, no, no. I want to know is now. Your worry, wor- is your worry? Is your are you a worry wart? Are you are you a, are you a wart on a witch's face? A, a worry wart on a witch's face? A witch's worry wart? Okay. Uh, actually, so I uh, I I also really enjoyed um, Moss and George. Their banter it felt super. Um, well, how do I just like Laurel and Hardy esque where they they go back and forth so quickly? Like you can you can kind of feel the play sensibilities because that's how like plays usually the dialogue is super fast paced and and, and um, they go back and forth in repetitiveness. It's really interesting. Some play, I mean, Pinter isn't. I mean, yes, I I just <laughs> but like there are. But yes, I mean that's that's how Mamet writes. Right, almost uh, uh, reminds me of a far more profane Aaron Sorkin. Mm. Although it's totally possible one or both of them would take offense at that comparison. Maybe. Probably. Why don't you fight about it? Fight. Oh, yeah. Dave, Aaron, get in there. <laughs> here's, here's some mud. Go. <laughs> and then yeah. both of you go write screenplays about this experience. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And, and for a first prize is you get it made into a major studio motion picture. Second prize is you're fired. Um, but you do get steak knives. <laughs> yeah, steak knives on your way out. That seems like a bad idea <laughs> to give someone <laughs> knives and then fire them. Um, it seems like a recipe for disaster. Um, <laughs> but I'm not steak. <laughs> um, that's a that was dark. That was a real dark was joke. As a, we opened the show with a passing reference to genocide, so I feel like this is actually a step down. That's true. Um. But I, I really, uh, I will say that like Ed Harris, uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen young Ed Harris in things. Um, no, he's got hair. Yeah, he. <laughs> would you say he's got Ed hair? Is would you would you say that he's got Ed uh, hairness? Yeah. Ed and now he's Ed hairless. Ah, I hate this. <laughs> Why did you make me do this? Because because you love it. I, I, I just want to pull it out of I you. I hate it so much, just, but it really seemed like if we didn't get there, you were going to be forever unsatisfied. Oh, so I, oh I needed, yeah. I needed to jump in, and I needed to do this for my friend. <laughs> I just I like this idea of you being like, I'm gonna get this done, so you don't just 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 to just to quell your existence. Um, but le- no, I really like as I was as said earlier, like everyone is acting the shit out of this this movie and like Ed Harris from the very moment like from the first moment you see him and he's he's like he's making a phone call and 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 he's uh slightly talking to Shelley um you can tell how like angry he is in his first interaction with Kevin Spacey's character like he brings so much like intensity and fire to this role like from the moment he walks in to the moment that he leaves when he gets like shamed by the by uh Roma it's it's so good and like you 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 feel it like you know that I'm not a big slice of life guy. Yes. And so like 
this the idea the the fact that like he is so engaging that he he like has me on the edge of my seat being like dude like this fucking guy like he is so like because at, at at one end you understand exactly what he's talking about but at the other end he's so entitled and he's so such like a, a baby about it like he keeps being like oh we are weak leads it's all the leads like it's not me it's the leads like oh guys guys agree with me come on come on it's it's the lead the, the leads right but like as you were saying like he's not rejecting them the same way that uh that roma is he's he's essentially just taking it and complaining as opposed to trying to do anything about it wouldn't it, it's amazing too especially considering how much these guys all seem to be on the same page with regards to the leads even roma imagine if they could just all take their egos and bullshit off the table for a second and just present a united front to williamson who's clearly if they all join forces, look at how easily fucking Roma completely shuts him the fuck down by himself. Right. If they if they join forces, if they made the fucking like the the Rio Rancho Justice League and shit, <laughs> I, they probably could have moved some stuff around in that office. But nobody, I think, is not a single one of them is capable of putting their ego to the side for a second. Yeah. The only possible exception is Arano, but that's only because this dude's like in a constant state of shock to begin with. Yeah. Though I will say that like the movie does a really good job of establishing that like their stakes are are high enough to where like they don't want to risk it because every time they're like, you know, these bad leads, uh John is like or Williamson is like leave. I don't need you. Eat a dick. Right, and they're all in competition with each other, so for all they know, it's like, well, I'm I'm turning these leads down. Maybe he won't. And maybe, right. maybe he gets lucky. But that's how capitalism works, baby. And that's why it's an unsustainable system. <laughs> hey! We got there! <laughs> all right, guys, drop the balloons, play the anthem. <laughs> It's like uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. You said today's secret word. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. But um, it's all right. We'll find our way back. <laughs> we got to some pretty big, heady places just now. We maybe should take a break, hydrate. <laughs> no, I will not. I refuse. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I, I, I actually really like this aspect that like. Even even if they wanted to to get together and like let's say unionize, nah. um, I don't think that they could. I think they would just lose their jobs, which like don't seem to be very secure in the first place. The idea that like they were probably already gonna get fired um, even before Alec Baldwin's character walked in. Uh, it's just that like the company, uh, Mitch and etc really wanted to like squeeze as much as they could out of them before they got rid of them. It's like a really boring Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> yeah. A more boring Bed Bath & Beyond. Mitch and et cetera. Woo, come to your stage. That's like your your neighbor Mitch had a lawn sale. <laughs> and you put up a big sign that says Mitch and et cetera. Yeah. What is it? It's it's Mitch and... Murray. Murray. Mitch and Murray. Um, like, so yeah, it feels like they were just trying to squeeze as much as they could. Like, maybe these guys were going to make a sale before they got fired. But, like, if not, who gives a shit? Like, they're already uh, in the hole. So, like, it's 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 this idea that if, if they could get more money out of these guys, they will. But, like, it doesn't matter because, like, they're not serving the company because companies only really care about the numbers. Right. Um, which is insane. Um, and so we have this like subplot or I guess it's main plot where like, uh, Moss wants to rob the, the place and sell it, sell the, the leads, the, leads. the new leads, yeah. uh, the Glengarry leads, Ooh. which refers to, it's a community in Florida. Like the title Glengarry Glen Ross refers to a couple of different sets of leads. That yeah. one. And then, uh, Glen Ross is like. So uh, another, I think, set of leads from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was Arizona, I think. It was like Glen Ross Farms. Yeah. Um, but there, this idea that like uh, they can go in because at the beginning of the movie, we're presented with these pink, beautifully wrapped. With their little uh, ribbon leads. on them. Yeah. Um, but they can't get them unless they make sales, but they can't make sales right. unless it's, they it's, have the good leads. Right. It's psychotic. Like you can't, you can't have the sales we can make until you are able to turn a profit on these leads. We know are dead. Right. We, at, the, at the end of the movie, Williamson, like he kept handing out fucking Nyborgs. Yeah. And he's like, I, 
we've known for sure for a long ass time. They're just crazy people. Yeah. But he's still giving that lead out knowingly. Yeah. It's insane. Um, uh, I felt uh, so bad. The Nyborgs, man. Nyborg. <laughs> Harriet and blah, blah, Nyborg. I fucking love every choice that Al Pacino makes in this. Like the He's still making his big Al Pacino choices, yeah. but the dialogue is so hyper-specific yeah. that he can't go too, too, too terribly far. He can't go Al Pacino outside the line. Yes. Um, so he's making his huge choices, but they all feel so fucking specific because yeah. they have to be. Right. There's, yes, there's this, my favorite line in the whole movie is when Shelly is talking about his big sale and um, he's like, and she, she brought this bread out uh, and he goes, uh, how was it? And he goes, and, and Shelly goes, uh, bought. And, and <laughs> Roma goes, fucker. <laughs> and it's like, it's so specific and it's so like, it, it's, it's. <laughs> Because it, 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 there's so much perspective in it. Yep. Um, I love it. Because uh, that's that's the kind of shit that you do when you when you're acting is like you make these very specific choices and you you have to like back them up with your characters' um, point of view on it. Yes. And and that is like he could have just been like, ah, fucker. But like it it there's such a a a sense of this character hates bought food like you yeah. fucking bake me something from scratch classless bitch <laughs> <laughs> why am i fucking wasting my time uh, and i i love it so wait what were we where were we were we we like uh digressed back to to pacino uh well yeah we were talking oh the nyborgs yes and yeah. how like insane it is that they would keep putting these leads back into circulation knowing full well there's no and it's not that these are weak salesmen. It's that, no, there's there's no way to sell on these. Right. And we're going to hold them accountable for selling on these anyway. When we, in point of fact, could give them leads, they could could close. Right. Which, so it makes sense that, like, if when faced with this crazy catch-22, you figure, you try to figure out a way to make your own profit on the side, which leads to this, this uh, robbery plot. And so, like, the whole first act is kind of leading up to that where these people are trying to figure out how they can make these sale these sales um under uh, basically under duress um and so the second act takes place after the the robbery and you're trying to figure out who did it and uh essentially George is almost entrapped into being the main suspect because Moss is like hey you know, now that I told you about this plan, like, I mean, I'm, if we're caught, and you you got to do it because, like, like, you're an accessory before you're the ex fact, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, you spend this whole time thinking it's George until you get that little tidbit about Shelley not Shelley knowing that um, that John Williamson didn't go to the bank, and it's and fuck, it's just it's ego, it's ego, it's more, it's it's stupidity that trips up Shelley, but it's more ego, like. Roma just dunked on Williamson so fucking hard. Yeah. And all Shelley had to do was not say anything. Right. Though I will say that like I feel like he could have he could have really just kept his alibi cuz um cuz Williamson is like how'd you know I didn't go to the bank? And he could have been like you said you were going home to your children as we were leaving. You kept being like I want to spend an hour with my children. So that's how I knew. Fuck you! I'm gonna go to the restaurant. Bye. See you later. But if he didn't actually have an alibi, and it's, Williamson asked him point blank, like, "Do you have an alibi?" and he can't answer. Like, even if even if he used that, it's like, well, wait, do you have an alibi? And like, he doesn't. So I still think that's and still like, the contract was there, so he's making a guess, right? But if he still has no alibi, it's still not gonna look great for him. I mean, none of them had an alibi though. Like, I mean, uh, each uh, of them. Moss did. Moss was said that he's getting a drink with somebody at that place he was talking about. Right. Well, cause he's. Because he's the master plan. He's going down too. Right, presumably. Like, yeah, because Shelly was like, yeah, 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 it was Moss. Like, he fucking, he gave him, he dimed him real fast. Um, but like. And then do you think he tries to take Arono down with them as an accessory before <laughs> this? <laughs> Hell yeah. Moss is, is petty enough to be like, all these motherfuckers were involved. Like, we all going down. I told this guy, I told this guy, let's go to jail, guys. Um, and like, he would definitely try and finger Roma for it too. Oh, yeah. And that would just be a waste of everybody's time. It would make him look <laughs> stupid in the long run. Um, 
But uh, talking about that, the the dynamic between Williamson and Shelley, it reminded me of the scene where they're in the uh, like the whole scene where where uh, Shelley is talking to Williamson about get just kind of getting some leads. Uh, it like, like on trying the slide. to right, like trying to make a deal for the good leads, being like, "Listen, I'll how about this? I'll give you I'll give you ten percent of every commission I make for yeah. these leads." And he's like, "No, twenty percent plus fifty dollars a lead." And, and right. at first, Shelly's like, "What the what the? Oh, wh- no, that's insane! Like, how dare you? You're a prick!" Blah 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 yeah. blah blah. Um, and eventually, like Williams is not going to budge, and he realizes, like, "No, I don't have." any ground to stand on here. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah. Um, doesn't have the cash on him and Williamson tells him to fuck himself. It's, I guess it's possible if he was, I, it is possible if he was open to it that night, he might've been open to it the next day. Yeah. There's a chance. And I wonder, I wonder too, because he's a, he's a total jackass, but it seems like there was a reality in which he would have been amenable to that deal. I wonder if that's true, and this is less likely because, like, in this position, his job was probably also on the line. So maybe not. But I wonder if he hadn't just gotten ripped so hard by Roma and he wasn't looking to stick it to somebody. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that final conversation might have gone a little bit differently, possibly. Possibly. Like, because he was trying to cut another deal. Yeah. And we've seen, like, Williamson at least considers deals like this. Mm -hmm. So it's possible if he didn't feel this fucking ego-driven need to stick it to somebody else— I don't know. Maybe it's possible. It's maybe. But again, I, like then it's like the factor of, well, his job is probably on the line too. So then it's like that th- maybe throws it in the other direction. But I wonder. Yeah. Though I feel like the fact that like they're the last bit of their conversation is, is Williamson being like, I don't like you. I think that he, I think that he never would have made a deal. Like I think he, he threw on the extra 50 to make it seem like he was slightly amenable, but he, he would have just kept raising. Well, like give this. him impossible terms. So finally he says no. Right. And if he says yes, keep raising the. the right. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that he wanted to fire all these people, but he was just cowardly enough to not do it himself. Sure. You know? Um, cause, cause if he was going to fire them, he would have just done it from the beginning, not had to bring in another dude to do so. Right. Um, but I really, I really liked um, but it also, sorry, it also seemed to me a little bit like he didn't necessarily have the authority to fire all of them. Mm. Like, it seemed like he was just sort of a middle manager type. Right. Like, he can't, he, you could see he can't do their job. Yeah. But he's not Mitch and Murray. Yeah. And it almost seems like he's there to just sort of supervise mm-hmm. and hand leads out. Yeah. So I almost wonder if he has the authority to fire anybody. Maybe. Maybe not. I guess. But though, I feel like if you are a middle manager, you could still be like, yo, Mitch and Murray, son. Well, and he does that these... a few times. Yeah. You know, he's like, you know, like when when they reject the leads and he's like, then get out because he knows he can kind of speak for the company at that point. Yeah. But I wonder if he's got, you know, I mean, I'm sure if he fired somebody, you know, like at the drop of a hat and then went to Mitch and Murray and was like, it's like this. They'd be like, fine, we don't give a shit. Fine. <laughs> right. But I, I wonder if he's actually got the immediate authority to hire or fire. Yeah. Eh. I mean, uh. I guess, yeah, I don't know. Because I know that this the role itself was based off of uh, Mammoth. 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 It was based on Mammoth. Because. Uh, Hello, I am not a playwright. David Mama. <laughs> David Mama. Glengarry Glenrose. <laughs> Would you like to read my play, American Buffalo? <laughs> yeah, oh, he's writing plays. Also, it's all in crayon. I also wrote uh, Speed the Plow. Do you want some Speed the Plow? I'm uh, David Mamet. All right, we're we're done. This is, this is some, done. somewhere out there. David Mamet's listening, going, "That's not how I sound at all." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "That's not me." He's <laughs> like, "Well, but maybe it is." Um, but uh, Mamet himself was a. Uh, he was the middle manager character. Um, like so, in his own life? Yeah, in his own life. Huh. That's how he came to write this play. Is like he was like, This is what the sales <laughs> These guys is like. are all jerks who are mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you process when you're when you're an artist, you just you take the characters you hate. And you put them, you put them in a play. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's what I do. Yeah. Um you know, you should you should see my my play called "I'll Kill Dex Lykel. Um. 
Is it like? Uh, oh, don't don't worry about it. It has nothing to do it, with you. Is it? Uh, did you say aisle or all? Huh? Did you say aisle like you will or all like all like everybody? Everyone. Like everybody. Everyone. Okay, that's Just, a way more like that's big, man. That lends itself to a theatrical adaptation. Oh yeah, 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 yeah definitely. That's big. You'd be like, uh, uh. You got the shot from World War Z where all, they're all trying to like climb over the wall mm-hmm. just to get this character yeah. who has no <laughs> no similarity to any person's <laughs> no, living or dead. Not at all. Um, I mean, I like to, when I was writing it, I was imagining it like that scene from Julius Caesar where everyone just starts stabbing Julius and he's like, Hit too, Brute. And Brute's like, yo, I hate you too. And he like stabs him. And Caesar's like, that's what's up. <laughs> and he looks at someone and he goes what's your name and the person goes fuck you that's my name Kicks him. <laughs> uh, just kidding that doesn't exist no what what what? 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 Oh, the, your play doesn't exist <laughs> yes my play doesn't I think like, Julius Caesar is a no, play there's no play <laughs> called Julius Caesar um, I'm actually I'm developing it right now. Did you know that there was once a an emperor named Julius Caesar in Rome? It's crazy. That, his everyone should hear his story. It's tragic. Wow, emperors, Rome. This story has everything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> betrayal, sexiness, all the things. Uh, I'm also developing one about this uh, more character named Othello. It's crazy. Yeah, I want Kenneth Branagh to be in it. Not, not, not as Othello, certainly. Yes, I want him to be Othello. It's gonna, it's crazy. You know, I was, uh, I wanted to really do uh, colorblind casting. No, I really, you know what? I really, I don't want to see. I really, (laughs) I really know. I really don't want to see a race swapped version of Othello. But what I desperately want to see is the internet reacting to a race swapped version of Othello. I mean, I think it'd be really weird because everyone would be like, blah, 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 more. And it's like, (laughs) I don't feel like you understand the context of this play. I don't think that it makes sense to you. (laughs) Ah, man. Um, So do you have, do you have any like last thoughts? Oh my God, wait, are we like getting there? We're getting there, baby. Shit. Um, Yeah. I feel, it feels like there must be stuff we haven't. Hit. Oh yes! Here are the two things that I want to hit. Um, one, uh, how much this screenplay hates Indian people. Um, you know, like there's a whole there's multiple sections about them being like, "All oh, these Indians are deadbeats." Ah, oh, everyone's name is Patel. Ugh, I hate Indians, which I didn't don't feel like aged very well. Which is interesting because I didn't read it as like being any more prejudiced against Indian people than against anybody else. Like they specifically call out like, well, yes, there's the, there's the Patels. Cause, but I think that's just one. I don't, th- I get I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. But like this one is one name that keeps coming back and there's like, ah, oh, fuck these people specifically. And then it's like, they're all kind of racist. So they just start slinging that around. Right. I mean, I guess it I, is. I'm not saying it isn't. Like racist as right. shit. I'm saying I don't think it's any more racist than they are homophobic or misogynistic or whatever. And gotcha. I don't think once again, I think it's yes, that's the characters. I I think it's not like the piece being racist, it's the characters being racist, which mm. to me is a big distinction. Like how depiction is not endorsement. Gotcha. Although okay. like now I'm thinking like bed knobs and broomsticks, there was that whole character where like they clearly weren't endorsing racism intentionally but yes. where they had all the people in brown face right that's still pretty racist yeah, a bit so it gets the line gets blurred i do think this is an example of the characters being racist and the piece not being okay interesting i mean because everything these dudes say is problematic i guess so but like i guess is it is it it i guess it comes down to intention though because it was written by mamet is is is, is mamet like writing it to bring attention to these things or is he writing it because he feels like these characters feel that way or is he like what yeah i I can't tell you what his intention right and like i can't really speak to that either and it's like i don't know him personally and and also too like in terms of storytelling like are you a death of the author guy or not right because i i go back and forth weirdly um but i would say like 
I don't know if he's even necessarily making a statement about any of it. If he is, it's just like, look at how ugly and toxic this whole thing is. Right. But I really think it's just a look at this world and these characters and he's lived in that world. And I totally buy that the people who inhabit this world in this little pressure cooker office, if it's all heavy testosterone and ego driven bullshit fuel dudes. Yeah. I buy this, especially now less. So now that we are a little bit more woke. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, I feel like people forget, like we just became woke a second ago. Like this, ju- this really did just happen for all intents and purposes. I buy, especially in the eighties when this was written. Yeah. I buy, I buy this entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really feel like it's being commented on other than I do think we are supposed to understand that these guys are all shitbags. Right. Okay. I can, I can accept that reasoning. Like, like um, she- Shelly is probably the least shitbaggy of all of them. And he's, I would say he's the least racist homophobe. He's just a, in his worst moments. He's a putz, yeah. but like he's the least racist, sexist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But everybody else is. Right. I mean, yeah, because there's there's that moment when Roma, Roma uses a lot of uh, inappropriate terms. Like he uses the c word. He also uses the slur for Chinese people. Yeah, um, like and super casually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't a fan. Um, but but again, like, but I, like it's supposed to. Yeah. Of course. Like if 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 I was you and I were sitting there and you very casually busted out a, a racial epithet, I'd be like, what the fuck? But. I'm not supposed to be friends with Roma. I don't even think I'm supposed to like Roma. I'm supposed to, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you're supposed to get how he's super slick and super charming. Yeah. I don't get the impression at any point that I'm supposed to like this guy. Right. So, and you do, because it's Pacino fucking giving an amazing performance. Yeah. And he really is that slick and that charming. But no, I don't think you're supposed to like any of these people, really. I think even, even Shelly, who I think you could argue is like the closest to likable, is still like, look at his choices. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what about my daughter? But it's like, yeah, what about your daughter, dude? Like, come on. Like, why didn't you? I get that this was a desperate act, but like, you must have known this was a desperate act that 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 had relatively little chance of, of working. Right. And then you had a little window in which to make it work and you shot yourself in the foot because, because look at your choices. Yeah. Um. So the, I guess my point is just that I, yes, of course it's all problematic, but I think it's more of a case of these were choices made for these characters because this is how it probably is or at least was yeah i i think i don't think the piece really passes judgment on them but i don't think we're supposed to go hey these are all great awesome people yeah you know what i mean yeah that's kind that. of a long-winded way to get there but right. uh that's kind of where, what i feel about it which is why like yeah of course i don't like the idea that he's dropping racial epithets either but it feels like yeah that's who these guys are gotcha and we're not supposed to we're not celebrating it right okay like, all right, I accept your answer. Yeah, if it felt like we were celebrating it to me, then I'd be like, well... I mean, there is weird. the big parade scene at the end being like, these guys are great! And everyone's like, epithets! And they the sing. Roma's out front twirling a baton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's real. It's <laughs> Baldwin's on top of a float just swinging the balls. Being like, prop man! <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so that was, we we digressed as we always oh, yeah. do, but like you said, there were two things. Yes, so the other thing is, I thought that like, the, I thought this was super well shot. Um, like, it's a very simple camera work, but like, there are moments when the, the lighting is really well done. Like, the first, the first shot that you see where it is, um, it is Shelly in the phone booth and it, it's like super uh, red and you have the blues when Ed Harris comes in mm-hmm. and then like even the the scenes where they're crossing the street and you get just that like New York street with like the dark background and the, the strip of red and you have a lot of blues on the side like I thought their use of color was really cool yeah um, and and fairly fairly minimalist right because there are a lot of the same kind of big colors that recur but yeah. yes still still managed to be manages to be very striking without being over elaborate yeah um so i i really dug that i think it was because i know that uh foley had a lot of reservations about doing it because he he felt like it would just be um theater on film his words not mine sure um and so i like that he still found ways to make it his own and to, to direct it uh in a way that like brought life to the characters and to the to scenes I wanna, I wanna real quick since we're talking about James Foley. Uh, I just wanted to double check. Cause I was like, oh, didn't he do 
this and this and this, and I wanted to double check, so I just pulled up his filmography. Uh, among the uh, titles he's directed, he uh, he made Who's That Girl with Madonna, which I saw a few times on cable back mm-hmm. in the day. Uh, Fear with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and then also the uh, two, two most recent Fifty Shades movies. He did Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Breed. Okay. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. He's uh, walking around the Fifty Shades set like, what happened to me? <laughs> um, no, those movies are very successful. I don't want to rag on them. The, yeah. first, the first one is definitely a movie. Yeah. Hey, we've talked about Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm just like shaming everybody. Yeah. I think this this, uh, this movie rubbed off on me. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm like Moss where I'm just sort of down on everything and everyone. Yeah, how dare you? But I don't. I don't know. I don't want to. Uh, everything has its fans. You think you're hot shit? Lex Michael, you haven't made a sale in over a month. You're a chick, you're garbage, you're nothing. You're walking around here like you're the cock of the walk and you're nothing. That was my Al Pacino berating you. Get out and let him tell the story. Oh. (laughs) I feel like that's an Al Pacino sound. Oh. 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 Yeah. A lot of that. Uh. So wait, that was the second. It wasn't something that bothered you. It was just the second thing you wanted to. No, do. no, no. It was, those were the two things that like. I really stood liked out the use me. of color in this movie, and it pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the color red. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh. So last thoughts, Lex Michael. Oh man, yeah. I, I feel like we had we had a lot of it. I yeah. Like I said, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of this movie and of the source material. I would say so. So Tara, you sounds like you like this a good deal. Yes, I liked it a lot. I'm glad you made me watch it. <laughs> made you watch it. Yeah. I would say if you liked it, I would. I don't know if you're much of a play reader, um, but if you liked it, obviously I recommend reading the the play version of Glengarry Glen Ross. But also check out like uh, he did American Buffalo and Speed the Plow and Sexual Perversity in Chicago and Oleana a bunch. I mean, super prolific, super respected. Um, yeah, I would I would check out some of his other stuff if you liked this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm always down to to read plays and stuff. Um, cause like I usually will read screenplays or parody screenplays and stuff like that. Like I really dig that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd be down. Are his other works, do, do, are, do the other, do the characters hate Indians as much in his other works as well? Like uh, he's being like, Patel! <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Oleana's all about a woman wandering the streets screaming Patel. Oh, all right. Patel! Like angry. <laughs> Not like, not like, uh, she's looking for a lost child. Like she's, I'm out to get you, you fuck. Like, but that's the whole play. Okay. It's just one line. The whole play, it's one page long. Yeah. There's like a couple of lines of stage direction at the top, couple of lines of stage direction at the bottom. And it's just, just one line. Yeah. It's one of those plays where they really let the the actor kind of let loose. They're like, Hey, we know you're going to have some choices. And so we want to let you kind of splash around a bit. We're going to give you as minimal material as possible. And you just like go. You have a certain amount of time. We'll give you the light when it's almost done. But like, just go. Patel! <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So good. All right. Great. <laughs> um, but no, maybe at a certain point it's worth like, because we've not really talked. We did a screenplay on this show. Yeah. Uh, the, the screenplay for Alien Engineers. Um, we haven't done a play before, so that actually might be... Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, maybe I'll throw like a mammoth play at you at some point soon. Yeah. Ooh. Don't throw a... But don't throw a mammoth at me. Am I right, guys? Am I right, guys? It'd be hard because they don't exist anymore. They're gone. They're all gone. You'd have to like come up with an <laughs> no. engine style. No, we found the last woolly mammoth to exist on planet Earth, and I killed it by throwing it at you. <laughs> It's dedication, <laughs> really is. Got to got to go for what you want, man. It's like, true. hey, you know what? If you if you believe uh, there's a hell that bad people go to, okay, you live that way. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you only get one life. Hoo <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan. I am a big fan of uh, whoever told you you could work with men, because <laughs> that's cutting. Yeah. Ah. Uh, perfect. I, I'm really hoping I end up in a just once in my life I end up in a situation where I could say that to somebody and mean it. Yeah. And the people around me who hear it would go like you made your point but like okay yeah you're right you're right whoever did tell him that. Oh. <laughs> I just want someone to be like I bought this cake and I'll be like fucker. <laughs> Classless bitch. 
Um, Lex Michael, where can people talk to you about uh, other plays and bullshit? Uh, does anyone still want to? Uh, I am all all over. I'm not all over, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And you can find me at Tari J. Guys, that's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. And if you would like to talk to the collective uh, Missing Out podcast, you can hit us up at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Or let's say that you don't like using your fingers to type things. You can also call our Missing Out hotline, which is 978-MISS-OUT. That number again is 978-MISS-OUT. Program that stuff into your phone. Call us while you're on the road. Tell us what you're into. Uh, tell us uh, if you have any thoughts about Glenn... Glug, 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 glug. If you have any thoughts about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, um, uh, hit us up as well. Uh, and that's that's all I got to plug. Anything else you got, Lex no, Michael? I feel like uh, I feel like I was a little salty today. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, you did just get uh, talking to from Alec Baldwin, so I mean, it was really gonna mess up your day. No one should talk to you like that. Did you? fuck do they think they are talking to you like that yeah that's why i wasn't in that scene hell yeah 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 that's why i'm not in this scene either <laughs> you're a classless bitch <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we'll see you next week Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wikiship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is pure editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruth Ann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.